0: Thank you, Jessica. You can grab the seat. All right. Well, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are super thankful to have you gather with us and worship this morning. As, as we begin, I just want to start off by uh, making you aware of a few things. Uh, you probably see there at your seat, or maybe somewhere around you, there is a brochure there about our week of prayer coming up December 5th through the 11th. Uh, we are taking a week kind of to engage the Lord in prayer. We've been talking about God doing immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And uh, and so we want to ask God for big things. Uh, we're going to be following that week with a, a prayer walk. And so on both Saturday and Sunday of that weekend, we're going to be prayer walking around our new building. Uh, because hopefully on December 12th, Lord willing, uh, we'll be moving into our new space and gathering. Uh, you probably are aware there's, we're, we're slowly taking equipment out of this room, which is why it's super bright in here today. So we've removed some of our lighting. We've taken some of our sound and audio equipment, so things are, are beginning to make the move and transition over, um, and uh, so we're, we're very excited about that. On uh, December 12th, also, it's going to be a full day. Not only do we hopefully move to our new building, we have Join in the Family Lunch, we have prayer walking that afternoon, we're just going to be together all day, it's going to be a good time. Join in the Family Lunch, you've seen over the, the past uh, few months, we've had an opportunity for those... Who are saying I want to I want to be all in with this family? I want to join the family. I want to be a part and take responsibility for caring for this family. And um, we've had the opportunity of welcoming those people the past several weeks. Our next lunch is on December twelfth. If you've not yet been and you want to do that this semester, uh, we would encourage you to jump in. And uh, would love to, to help you connect. If you're brand new here this morning, we'd love to connect you with a community group. Uh, we have a Ecclesia app that you can go to, and there's all the details there you need to know about who we are and how to get connected. We would encourage you to check that out. And lastly, we uh, we've been talking about our immeasurably more giving. We're coming to the end of the year, and uh, I'm excited to announce this morning we had a goal of raising. Seventy-five thousand dollars for our measurably more giving, and because of two very, very generous gifts this week, we are fifty-five thousand of our seventy-five thousand in. So we only have twenty thousand more to raise, which is incredible. Um, and this is money that we're basically setting aside to to help one fund and furnish the remainder part of our construction cost and building. Um, And then also money that we would put back to be able to help support other church plants and other works and other needs in our community and outreach and things of that nature. And so that is very, very exciting. We're we're uh, we're just thankful for the generosity, particularly as we move towards the year end. Uh, Thank you for giving and participating. And I don't know about you, but seventy five thousand dollars when we first set that goal. Uh, seemed like a, an immeasurably more ask It, it felt like uh, a, a just a, a really lofty goal And I'm, I'm thankful to see that we are making progress towards that So that's a few of the announcements I just want to uh, in, invite you to, to know You can also, if you want to refresh your own those Those are available on our app as well Alright, right, First John chapter 2, 28 through 3, 10 That's where we're, we're at this morning Um, I remember uh, some of the first few weeks that uh, I met Greg. I met Greg initially in Tennessee, and Greg and his family moved out to Salt Lake City. And when they arrived, Greg and I started visiting together. We started getting together, and uh, and I remember we, we were at a meeting, and we decided that we wanted to go to his house. And I told Greg, I said, hey, I I think it would be worthwhile uh, to let your wife know that we're coming. And he's like, ah, no, it's gonna gonna be great. It's gonna be good. Just come on over. And I was like, hey, you know, if it was my wife, I I know she would appreciate a heads up. I think you should just take your phone out and call Becca up on the phone and just say, hey, Becca, I want you to know, uh, Justin's coming to the house. We're about five minutes away. Just common courtesy, like, you can, you can do that. And he's like, ah, it's good. It's good. And uh, I, I was doing that because uh, I wanted him to stay happily married. That, that was really my goal. And uh, if anyone's ever shown up at your home unexpectedly, uh, it can be surprising. And, and I didn't want it to be surprising to Becca. I didn't really know these guys very well at that time. And so I was just saying, Hey, uh, I I, I really want to keep the relationship going and want to make sure everything's smoothed over. So I think you should call. And so I remember walking down the hallway and I was like, Oh man, this is not going to go good. And you know, the door opens and I'm kind of like hiding in the hallway, trying to give him still a few moments to just let her know, Hey, Justin's walking. He's, He's following behind me. He's coming in. and. This passage that we're looking at this morning references the same idea. It says that Jesus is going to show up unexpectedly. And it says he doesn't want us to be ashamed or shrink back at his coming. Now, my uh, advice to Greg was, hey, Greg, I don't want Becca to be ashamed at my coming." I, I want her to be aware that, that I'm coming to their house. I want, I want her to have time to prepare. I'm, I want her to have time in any way. It's like just to get mentally prepared, like Justin's about to come to our house. And I think we all know that if anyone comes to your house, some of you are like, hey, it's an open door policy. You can come over whenever. You're going to see my life no matter what shape it's in. Walk in. This is how we do it, Right. And some of you are like that. Some of you are like, no, I want want a good heads up. John is encouraging us and writing to us in this text, telling us, hey, there's going to come a time where Jesus is going to come knocking at your door, and are you going to be ready? He's going to come. He's going to show up. And he says, he doesn't want you to be ashamed at his coming. Now, you may ask, what would cause us to be ashamed at his coming. What would cause us to shrink back? That's that's what he says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. It says, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him at the shame of his coming. Now, here's what's interesting. As a pastor, I, I love to use sticky phrases. Anybody know what sticky phrases is? No, you're, you're like, no, I don't know what that is. You, you say things in a unique way that help make them, like, stick. They're memorable, right? And so you ask, like, why do pastors have three-point sermons that all start with the letter A? That's, it's, it's meant to be sticky, right? Well, this wasn't something that just pastors made up. John is actually teaching using sticky phrases. What's interesting about this is, though the Bible, the New Testament, was originally written in Greek, we read the New Testament, and we don't actually get the sticky phrases. But what's what's cool about this is he says two words, coming and confidence. And I won't attempt to pronounce these in the Greek, but I will put them on the screen: coming in confidence. And these are both the Greek words, however you say them. Anybody want to give it a shot? Parasia. I, I heard parasia. Okay. And parousia. And what he says is, I want you to have parousia at my parasia. He's using sticky terms. When this was read, it was meant to be in a certain way. I want you to have confidence in my coming. And so of all this passage, what is he trying to tell us? The big idea of this passage is he wants us to have confidence. He wants us to have have confidence. He wants us to be prepared for the second coming of Jesus by pursuing righteousness. This is the whole... He wants you to know he's coming. Now, are you going to be prepared? There's two responses. And I think a lot of us were like, yeah, maybe there's a third, right? Surely there's a third option, right? No, there's two options. Either one, we're going to be confident. You're like, hey, Jesus is in town and he's coming by your house. And you're going to be like, all right, I can't wait. This is good. Or some of us are gonna be like, oh man, that's not so good. We're, we're gonna shrink back and we're gonna be ashamed. These are the two responses that were given in this text. But the Bible teaches, and Jesus says himself, we don't know when he's going to return. We have no idea. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. It says this. But concerning that day and hour, No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Jesus himself doesn't know when he's going to return. It says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and then they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. In the same way that the rains came, the flood came, Jesus is going to appear again. Are we going to be ready? It said, verse 40: the two men will be in the, in the field, one will be taken, one left. Two men, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, what does it say? Stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the, the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and he would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So here's what he's saying to us. And here's what John is so kindly saying to us. Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to appear again. In the same way as we're about to enter into the Advent season, that that Jesus came into the world, that Jesus was born, that Jesus was immaculately, immaculately conceived by the Virgin Mary, and Jesus would be born into this world, and Jesus would come. In the same way that he came, he is coming again. In physical form. He's coming. He's going to return. And we're waiting the second advent of Jesus. We're waiting for the return of Jesus. But the Bible teaches us that we have no idea when that's going to come. So we need to be ready. At all times. That we would be prepared. That we would be ready for the coming of Jesus. And so what John is going to teach us is how to get ready. How to be prepared. How do we prepare for the second coming of Jesus? Who here wants to be prepared for the second coming of Jesus? You don't want to be shocked. You don't want to be ashamed at His coming. You want to be ready. This passage tells us. First thing He says. And now little children, abide in Him. This is the first step of being prepared to be with Jesus. Is that we abide in Him. 1 John chapter, the, the book of 1 John uses the word abide over 20 times. This idea of abiding with Jesus is super, super important. And I think so often for many of us, this idea of, by, of, of abiding is so easily misunderstood. We, we sometimes are, are just finding it hard to define what does it mean to abide, to remain, to stay connected. And we don't actually have to go searching too far. Jesus himself taught us what it means to abide. He uses a story in John chapter 15 of of a tree. And this idea that, that you and I were to abide in Jesus the way the branches of a tree, the way the limbs of a tree are connected to a tree. That as the branches of the tree, they receive their nourishment, they receive life from the root of the tree. They're to stay connected. If they were to cut themselves off from the tree, they would die. And this is that illustration of what it means for, for you and I, that we are to stay connected to Jesus, that we're to remain in him, that we are to receive life in him, that we are to constantly be reminded of his His words, that they are to fill our minds, that they are to direct us. Our steps that they are to transform our affections continually. And so, for us, when we think about that, abiding is, is central to being prepared with Jesus. This is the first thing that John gives us in this passage. That if we're going to be prepared and have confidence in His coming, that we do that by staying connected with Him. That just being with Jesus. And so, If if I were to ask you this morning, are you prepared, are you ready? We should ask ourselves, are we abiding? Are we already connected with Jesus? Are we receiving his words? Are we obeying his truths? Are we receiving his commands? Is he stirring our affections for him and for others? Are we connected to Jesus? Are we abiding? You might ask this morning, how do I I know if I'm abiding? Well, in the same way, a tree as it's described in John chapter 15, if you're connected to the roots of that tree, if you're connected to the life of that tree, then that tree would produce fruit. There would be fruit on the branches of the tree and that, that fruit would give evidence that you're abiding. In the same way, it can be asked of us. We know that we're abiding if there is fruit in our life. The Bible describes the, the fruit as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You may ask yourself is are are those fruits or are, are those things that are evident in my life? Do I see love, joy, peace, patience? Stuff there, like patience, right? Anybody? Like, that is a fruit of the Spirit. It is what patience is, what grows to someone who is connected to Jesus, who's abiding in Jesus. Gentleness? Gentleness is what grows on us when we're abiding in Jesus And so these these fruits of our life are, are evidence. Are you abiding? Are you abiding in Jesus? Are you connected to Jesus? One of the things my family and I do is we celebrate Sabbath in our home every week, hopefully every week. But we we gather together around the table on Friday night. We do our Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night. And we light two candles. And this was a Jewish practice that there was two commands to remember the Sabbath day. That's one. And to keep it holy. And they would light two candles. And as a Jewish practice, they would cup their hands around the light of the candle. And they would bring the light of the candle to their face. And it was this idea in the next 24 hours as we practice the Sabbath that we want the presence of Jesus to fill our lives. Now, to abide in Jesus means that we walk every day in 24 hours constantly connected to Jesus, but... There's this idea, there's this practice, there's this rhythm of practicing the Sabbath that we would come together. And I really tangibly remember that this is what it's all about. We want the presence of Jesus to fill our lives, to fill our home, to fill our minds, to fill our thoughts, to fill our hearts. We want to stay connected to Jesus. We want Jesus to invite us into that Sabbath rest. We want to experience the presence of him with us. And that that 24 hours is meant to set a rhythm for the rest of the week. Filling our minds. And I can tell you for us that that practice has been so helpful because it's in that practice that our mind just continually returns to the Lord. And that's what it means to stay connected. Dallas Willard says, The first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. Anybody have that problem? your mind drifts, right? We're seeking to abide, we're seeking to stay connected, but then we find ourselves not abiding, not connecting, and we gotta constantly set our minds back on the things of Christ. We're constantly returning, and this is the the practice in our Christian life of what it means to abide, that we're constantly returning, dwelling on, on, on the Lord. And it says, but these are habits, not the law of gravity. And can be broken. I love that. Because we're not stuck in this continual state of of not abiding. It's just a habit. And habits can be broken. That's a good thing about habits, right? We can break bad habits. And so this sense of of not abiding, we can change. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones. As we take intentional steps before Toward keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God. And the needle of a compass constantly returns to north. If God is the great longing of our souls. He will become the pole star of our inward beings. I love that picture. Of just that we're constantly reminding. As a compass you have due north. And it's just that there's a constant reminder. And what John is telling us here, right out of the gates, that if we're going to be prepared, that if we're going to have confidence, that confidence comes through abiding. Church, are we abiding? Are we abiding? It goes on in this passage to say, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. What's, what's great about that is the more time you, you, you abide in Jesus, the more you become like him. And it's this idea of like father, like son. If you look at my son, Jet, you will recognize that he's my son. If you watch my son at school, you will recognize that he is my son. Short attention span, once adventure and fun doesn't really wanna do a worksheet, all right? That's me. It's like, I'm, I'm kind of bored with just routine, mundane, and, and like, Jet is like, let's go, like, let's be, and, and he's my son. There are things you can tell, there, there are evidences in Jet's life that you're like, I, I see, he belongs to Justin, yep. If he was bald, he would look just like me. He's glad he's not. But there's, there's evidence. And this is what this passage tells us, that you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him, that there are some evidences and traits in your life that shows that God is your father. It goes on. Let me say this real quick, back up. One sentence. Righteousness is evidence of new birth, not the cause of it. I want to point that out. Righteousness that we're to to pursue and run after is evidence of the new birth, is evidence that you've been born of God, not the cause of it. Now what do I mean by that? I mean that we don't live righteous so that we can be born again. We're born again so that we can live righteously, okay? Second thing, it goes on in this passage. We'll read down to verse 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. This idea of, of see. If you read the message translation, I can't remember it word for word, but it, but it says something like, check it out. Focus on it. There, there's a sense of, 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 of dwelling on this idea that God has poured out His love to us and that we should be called the children of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, as I was studying this passage this week, says this. There is nothing surely in life that can be more wonderful or more glorious than have to spend a week or so with a word like this, looking at it, listening to it, and considering what others have said about it. I love that. He's talking about this phrase right here. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. He's like, there, there can be nothing more glorious than spending a week with just that phrase right there. To dwell on it, to think on the implications of it, to listen to it, to have it read over you, to see what other people have said about it, of just this idea. See what kind of love the Father has given to you that we should be called children of God. Hey, you're like, break that down for me. Help me me understand what's going on. Here's what it says. It's all, the the kind of pivotal point of this passage is this idea of hope. It's this idea of hope. It's It's all about trusting in Jesus. Trusting that Jesus will do what he says he'll do. It's all about knowing that we belong. It's all about confidence. I remember I went to a conference uh, early, early. I I bet it was probably 2004, 2005. I can't remember. Somebody who loves the Dallas Cowboys could probably tell you. Because we went to uh, Texas Stadium. It was just being built. Okay? And, and I rolled up on Texas Stadium. And it, it was gated. And I was with my... One of of my other pastor friends at the time, and he decided to just roll on through like the gate, like, like we belong. We pull up to Texas Stadium, says no entrance, but that that doesn't mean anything to him. And we keep on driving through and I'm kind of like ducking my head. I'm walking different because I know I don't belong. I know that it's only a matter of time before someone comes over to us and flags us down and, and they're like, what are you doing? Like we're driving through the stadium right now in a car and, and it's being built and I'm going, this is terrible. Like someone's going to come and ask us to leave and I'm so embarrassed. But he's walking a little bit different. He's going kind to of just act like you belong. Act like you, you know, there's a sense in which, dad owns this stadium. My dad's not Jerry Jones. But he's, he's like, acts like it. And I remember just just feeling so afraid that we were, were going to be asked to leave. What John is telling us is it's not like you're pulling up to Texas Stadium and your dad's not Jerry Jones. He said, you're pulling up to the kingdom of God and you're a children of God. See what love the Father has poured out for us. There's a trusting, there's a, a hoping in that. He's saying, you belong. When he appears, it's not like there's someone gonna show up and be like, hey, who's this trampling through Texas stadium? Who's this trampling through the kingdom of God? And you don't belong. You are a children, a child. Of God, and there's a, a hoping in that. There's a trusting in that that changes the way that you live. That you begin to walk differently. That you begin to purify yourself, which is a very active phrase in this text. That you would begin to live differently because you know you belong. I I love this this verse where it says. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Okay? Imagine tomorrow morning, you get really excited about working out. Okay? Anybody ever gotten really excited about working out? Some? Some? Some of you are like, no, I'm not really excited about working out, right? So you get real excited. Maybe it's January 1st. And your New Year's resolution is you're going to Planet Fitness. All right? And we're doing this thing. And you show up at Planet Fitness on January 1st, and you go over and you grab that 10 pound dumbbell off that rack and you start doing curls in that mirror. And you're looking in the mirror. And what will be has not yet appeared. And you come back on January 2nd and you grab that 12 pound dumbbell and you start doing those curls and what will be has not yet appeared. Now the question is, is do we give up? And I love this idea because I think so often we, we want immediate results. We want to see change. And we go to the gym and we do the curls. And what will be has not yet appeared. It takes time. It takes it takes a lot of hard work. And what he's saying is, trust the process. Trust the process. This idea of of hoping, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. It's this idea of of purifying. Trust the process. I don't know about you, but I think it's, it's easy for us to get discouraged. It's easy for us to come to a place. We know we're children of God. We know He's poured out His love on us. But when it comes to purity, we struggle. But what I see John telling us to do is, is keep putting your trust, not in your process, but in Him. As He is pure, so you will become. As He is righteous, so you will become. We know that when He appears, we will know that we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. When we come face to face with Jesus, Process will be complete because we know that that day is coming where He is going to perfect us and make us righteous. It, it motivates us today to pursue purity. I was thinking about this idea of walking in darkness and light. I think this is a a helpful illustration. If you can imagine this room being pitch black, we turned off all the lights, and I lit a single candle. While it would be dim, it, it would still produce enough light that you could see my face, and I could probably see you and make out people. But the minute that light Imagine if I were to hold that light and I were to walk across the room and I were to exit the room, the room wouldn't stay illuminated. There there wouldn't be a sense of of light in the room. It, It would immediately go dark again. This idea of purifying is a continual active work. When we think about walking in light and walking in darkness, some of us, have been stumbling through life blindly, that we've we've tried to navigate life totally apart from the light of Christ. And there's this idea of purifying yourself that is that is very active. It's it's about lighting the light of Jesus in your life, illuminating his truth, his words, his thoughts, Filling our minds continually, that we would continue to turn back to these things and desire to walk in the truth. This idea of purifying yourself means you have something to do. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Hebrews 6, 11 and 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. To have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish. But imitators of those who through faith and patience. Inherit the promises. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death whatever is earthly in you. There is a sense of this purifying work. Jesus purifies. That is true. Jesus cleanses us. From sin, That is true. But it is very much true that you and I have a, a constant, active work of purifying ourselves before the Lord. By trusting in Him. By trusting in who He says we are. We're children of God. By trusting in the love that He's poured out in our lives. And trusting and knowing that we will be brought to perfection one day. That causes you and I, right now, today, to seek purity. Third thing is this, by practicing, practicing. By abiding, by hoping, by practicing, this is how we'll have confidence to stand in that day. By practicing, by practicing the way of Jesus. Jesus, John is going to tell us here, there's two ways to practice. Either one, you're practicing righteousness, or two, you're practicing lawlessness. In 1 John 3, 7, it says, Little children, let no one deceive you. This is where we're jumping back into last week. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Mike Cosper in his book, Recapturing the Wonder, says, To experience the richness of life in God's kingdom, we must reorder our lives. We need to see through the shallow promises of our culture, and we need rhythms, signposts, and practices that reorient us to another world. Practice, practice, practice. A lot of us, this idea of practice, it's like exercise. Many of us don't like it. Practice, we're called to practice. Spiritual disciplines are how we practice Living out righteousness. Spiritual disciplines such as prayer, Bible reading, fasting, Sabbath, solitude, meditation, rest, Bible memorization. These are practices for walking in righteousness. If we think about practicing lawlessness, practicing lawlessness means just totally... Walking away or or disobeying the commands of God. Totally throwing away the commands of God. To practice righteousness means to adhere to the commands of God. To obey to the commands of God. To listen to the commands of God. And I think anytime I say practices. Two things come to mind. Legalism and laziness. And. As often as I hear people throw out the idea of like, man, hey, don't put that legalism on me, like read your Bible, memorization, all of that, typically I think that's a, a great signpost for like you're just wanting to be lazy. There's, there's an active call here to practice righteousness. Practices that have helped generations of Christians towards righteousness. And I think I see far more error today on the side of laziness than legalism. This idea of legalism of I must do these things and I I do them in such a way that either one, I earn the favor of God, or I earn the favor of people, or I do them in a certain way to earn right standing, or I do them in a, in a, in a certain way, or do certain things in a, in a way that causes people to look favorably on me, that I hold myself in high regard because I do these works, not because of the righteousness of Jesus. This is legalism. But it doesn't mean that we don't do them. That's laziness, and I think most of our error when it comes to practicing righteousness and walking in righteousness, most of our error that most of us fall in is laziness. You may have heard the quote, and I'll disagree with it, that a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Now, the truth is, I know a lot of people who read their Bible faithfully, and they're like, man, my world's falling apart. There are times that I look back in the life of David, and I go, you know what? David writes in the Psalms a lot of times. His life is kind of falling apart. And so I, I think in this quote that there there are some things. While that isn't necessarily true, I can tell you that a Bible is, that is never opened is guaranteed to lead to a life that's falling apart. Opening your Bible isn't a, a vaccine against. Trouble or pain, but opening your Bible is an ointment for healing of your pain. Opening your Bible isn't a path free of temptation, but opening your Bible is a, a map to navigate through the temptation. The Word of God says, I've hidden your Word in my heart so I may not sin against you. There is gold. In the scripture, there is truth and worth and value in the scripture. It's practices that lead us towards righteousness. Trust the process. Abide in Him. Now let me get to my final thought. What hope is there that this is even possible? There's a gospel message in this passage. Twice in this passage, it says Jesus appeared, and it gives us a reason. Jesus appeared, one, to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So Jesus didn't come so that we can sin all the more. Jesus didn't come so we could walk and practice lawlessness. Jesus came so we could practice and walk in righteousness. Take away sins. That's the first reason. The second reason it says Jesus appears to destroy the works of the devil. Now this goes back to Greg's message last week. It's saying where John was writing to those who deceive you. Do you know who the great deceiver is? The devil. The devil is out to deceive you. The devil is out to lie to you. He's the father of lies. He's been seeking to deceive us since the beginning of time. We look back in the life of Adam and Eve. And he was out to deceive them. He was out to question the goodness of God. Surely God is not good if he would withhold something from you. Surely God is not going to truly hold up to his commandments. He said, you'll die. And the enemy spoke to him and said, surely you won't die. He's a liar. And it says that Jesus came to expose the liar. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. His works are... To deceive you, to lead you astray, to cause you to question the consequences of sin, to cause you to think that you're already perfect, to cause you to avoid pursuing righteousness, to deceive you that how you live really doesn't matter. To deceive you that he actually has power and dominion over your life, not the Lord. To deceive you about God's plan and purpose for your life. To deceive you about the true consequences of sin. If I can just bring some clarity to this. Satan is out to prepare you for hell. That's his goal. Satan, Satan's works, his lies, everything that he is out to do is to destroy your life and to prepare you for life apart from God. Because when we live life apart from God here, he's preparing us for hell. What are you preparing for? What are you preparing for? In the early 2000s, I was on a staff at a church in Dallas where close to 24,000 people will show up on any given Sunday. I remember a a particular Sunday when the pastor of the church had an emergency that morning and was unable to preach. And so a man by the name of Neil Jeffrey was called to to preach that morning. I want you to imagine getting a call at 6 a.m. on Sunday morning that in a little less than three hours you're going to be standing before 24,000 people, open your Bible, and share confidently the Word of God that morning. I honestly, I, I can't imagine the fear or anxiety or the shrieking that would happen in that moment but after speaking with Neil in the following days, honestly like he did a phenomenal job he said he was ready, he said every Sunday morning at that church someone was prepared to step into the pulpit at moment's notice and deliver the word of God They would be prepared. They were ready for it. If anyone ever had emergencies, someone was ready to step in. Here's what I can tell you. That would frighten me if that were to happen. I get nervous waking up at 6 a.m. on Sunday morning knowing that I'm coming to speak to you. But there's going to be a day Where we're not going to stand before 24,000 people, but we're going to stand before the king of kings. You're not going to have time to prepare. You're not going to have time to get your life in order. He's given us a warning. He's told us he is coming. It's certain he will And he's telling us and he's warning us today that we need to prepare with the end in mind. Live today as if Jesus is coming, because he is. He's coming. And when you live that way, you'll have confidence. Now, if I can take you back all the way to the very first week when we started this series... John told us while why he was writing, so that your joy would be complete. I want to ask you if today, if you know you're abiding with Jesus, if you're trusting, if you're hoping in Jesus, If you're practicing the ways of Jesus, then you can stand with confidence today. And in standing with confidence, your joy can be complete because you're ready. My question is, are you ready? Let's pray as the worship team comes up. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this confidence. And some, for for many of us, it's, it's a warning this morning. You're telling us what is to come. You're telling us to prepare. You're telling us to live today as if Jesus is coming. So Lord, I I, I pray for those who are here in this room this morning, that they would just hear that call, that they would heed that warning, and they would respond this morning by trusting and abiding and by walking with you. Lord, I pray for us this morning who feel like we're ready We're experiencing the the pain and destruction of sin in our world. And we're saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. We can't wait for you to come. We're living with joy and confidence even today because we can't wait. We're ready. Our home is ready. We don't have to be ashamed that you're coming. We don't have to shrink back. Lord, we are ready. We want you to come today. And so, Lord, we, we live confidently knowing that we are ready. Lord, help us to really see, believe, and rest in the good news that this passage brings us, that you came to destroy the works of the devil. May none of us, may none of us be deceived. May none of us be deceived this morning that we can put it off. May none of us be deceived this morning that that can wait for another day. But we would be ready to respond in moments notice if you showed up at our door today. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're coming again. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.